0: Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in.
1: Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are joined by Bo Billington, the founder and CEO of The Free Agent. As an enterprise software solutions executive, Bo saw how the top companies brought the best experts and consultants together to constantly push their business forward, and he knew he could do the same for small businesses who needed top talent. In 2017, Bo founded the free agent with the goal to be the number one resource technology company's call when experiencing inertia or hyper growth. They connect small to medium-sized businesses to experts in sales, marketing, finance, technology, and operations who work on an interim, fractional, project-based or full-time basis. Bo is changing the way businesses find the right people. We're so glad to have you on the podcast today, buddy.
2: Glad to be here. That's a hell of an intro. I may have to adopt that. Just, just so you know. Yes.
1: Feel ah, cool. free. We've had several people ask us to send them that intro for their own copy. You have start a
2: copywriting, copywriting company. That's,
1: That's right. right That's right. Well, we're proud of our team. Uh, so let's do this. Let's start where we always start. Give me the series of events that led you to starting this company.
2: So a couple things, right? So fast forward or rewind, I should say, back to you know, circa 2016. Uh, I had just had my first kid, was in Toronto, I think it was December 23rd or so. And uh, there's a big snowstorm coming through Toronto, and it looked like I was gonna be snowed in, and this is the first Christmas with my first kid, right? So I was sitting there downstairs in the bar watching ESPN, and they came across, you know, they talk about so-and-so is about to become a free agent. And what that meant for his career. And I started thinking to myself, you know, I'm only here because somebody told me to be here, right? And now I'm gonna miss out on life events, which is a big deal to me. Mm. And so that kind of spawned the thinking for, you know, what could a free agent be? What could that look like in the workforce? And what, what could that look like for me? And so, you know, fast forward two years later, um, I had my second kid, just built a house, you know, like the money trap was real. And I still couldn't scratch this itch, though, in regards to the free agent. In my original thoughts around that, and so you know, long story short, um, after many discussions with my wife, a lot of soul searching, I uh, decided to to kind of put um, draw a line in the sand and create the company as a free agent, uh, and then jumped out in twenty seventeen.
1: Nice. And what was the the initial kind of bones of the idea that you you built at that point?
2: So, so the initial concept is um, twofold. So originally, it was going to be kind of me as an independent consultant that plugged in with three to four different organizations you know, a free agent, a hired gun as it pertains to sales, and just working independently. So that was the original concept. Uh, And then I I kind of spawned into almost an exclusive, you know, like community-based, kind of like LinkedIn, but but closed and locked down for executives with with backgrounds across sales, marketing, and technology. So it kind of started as, you know, an initial idea for me, and how could I create a better work-life balance for myself? Mm. And then that spawned into, you know, actually a business versus just being kind of a, a sole proprietor or an individual.
1: Yes. Oh, I love that. So how quickly and what were the steps that were taken to go from you just being the free agent that was being utilized to you actually starting to connect businesses to other free agents?
2: So that's a it's another tough question, right? So quick was was something that um seemed to escape me, right? So when I when I started the business, I literally, you know, I, I'd spent my entire career, selling enterprise software solutions in the Fortune 50, internationally felt pretty confident in my skill set, started a company, and literally I grew up in Atlanta, born and raised here, and I pulled out my Rolodex, and literally no contacts in Atlanta. Everyone <laughs> I knew was was everywhere else but Atlanta. And so I, I had this kind of time horizon, I told my wife as well that, hey, you know, three months, within three months, we'll have business, within six months, I'll replace my income, Right. And so literally, I think three or four months came, my wife was kind of sitting having a conversation over dinner. and It's like, you know, what, what's going on though? Do we need, to, we need to figure out a plan for you to go back to work? Uh, long story short, took eight months to get my first client mm. and I uh, had to do some, uh, some adjusting on the fly, had to do some learning, but, you know, finally made it happen and then figured out how to kind of replicate that and, you know, got clients two, three and kind of, you know, continued up the, the chain, but it, it took a while, not going to lie. Yeah,
1: yeah. And so that was getting you personally your first clients. Is that right?
2: Yes, correct.
1: Awesome. So let's start there. What was that key to landing the first, and then the the lessons you learned to landing number two, number three, number four?
2: Uh, so first and foremost, uh, it was it was being op, you know open and being fluid, right? Having conversations with a multitude of people and really networking. I honestly didn't really understand um, what like guerrilla warfare was or, you know, boots on the ground marketing or what networking was, to be honest with you. I always had these machines behind me doing all the work. Mm. And so it really took me kind of going out, you know, shaking hands, kissing babies, um, having conversations, getting introduced and, and just networking into my first client. Um, so it, it it took a while. And also, too, with the first client, um, you know, I was pretty open as to the work that I was doing you know, I had a, a very, very defined idea of what I was going to do. And that kind of is one of the reasons why it took me eight months to pick up my first client. Right. And so the second I kind of opened myself up to doing a um, little, little different work than maybe I set out to do, I started attaining clients.
1: Got it. Yeah, it's huge. It's it's actually a little bit opposite of what we would typically hear. You know, most people focus, start off, focus, right? Yeah. Most would start off a little too broad and then realize the problem was they weren't focused enough and niched enough. And It's interesting that yours is flipped. Do you have any idea why that is?
2: I think just because of the nature of my business, right? I mean, I I, I greatly define precisely what I did. And when I originally kind of started the business and jumped out of corporate America, it was all around interim executive work, right? That's all it was. And so I was walking away from business left and right. And there's a lot of... um, there's a lot of opportunity, I'd say, that that is adjacent to that space. Mm. And so once I was a little more open to doing some work that maybe wasn't precisely in that box, that's when things kind of started happening. So Got it. I was focused, but I think I was a little too niche down.
1: Got it. That's good to hear. Somebody yeah. might be experiencing that if they take they take that advice to the letter of the law, right? That you might actually be walking away from business that's, that's right next to you. Um, sure. So I'm interested in the scale part. What was it like? What were the, the strategy and the steps that you took to making this a business bigger than just yourself?
2: Yeah, so um fewfold. you know, luckily I, I was a, a good worker bee, um, you know, back in the day, worked hard, was always pretty, pretty risk averse and smart. And so, you know, when I took out of corporate America, I could strap this thing myself, but I had sort of, you know, set aside money that could be allocated towards my business and for my business. And so that really, it wasn't kind of a fly-by-night decision for me to jump out of corporate America and start this thing. I mean, you guys sure. are a I'm sure you've been through the same thing. Um, but I, I did have, you know, monies allocated that I could utilize for the business. Uh, for me, though, really kind of making the business larger was all about understanding you know, what I did right, you know, and honing in on my target market and then trying to replicate that process and, and get more clients that were kind of in line with the work that I just did. Because now it's what I had. I had a use case. At a record, Mm. I've done this thing, I've done it well, and now I can do it again for another client. So I just started looking for similarities uh, and pain points that the initial client had um, with other customers, and those were the ones I started targeting. But it was, it was boots on the ground, heavy hitting, like sales effort. I mean, it was it was not easy. It was hard as last sleepless nights.
1: For sure, for sure. But at some point, right? If I'm understanding your your business even currently today. You're utilizing other people like yourself who are willing to be free agents for companies, correct? And connecting them so that you're not the solo person delivering the service, right?
2: 100%. So I have zero interest in actually doing consulting myself. Yeah. I I, I essentially am an intermediary between two parties. And, you know, it's funny when I started my company, I also try to take an inventory of like, you know, my skill set and what I'm good at. And the one thing that I think that I'm good at is actually networking right, and putting people together that can do good things together. Um, and that's the way I've kind of set my business up and myself within my organization, is that I am kind of the the individual in between the two parties, and I put them together. And
0: that's yeah, what I yeah. do. Did you find uh, that there was an initial interest in, so now you really cover the gamut of all major functions of, of business. Did you find at the beginning that there was, hey, because you were kind of leaning on the sales side, you found and began replicating more sales side? Or did you go, gosh, I just keep doing these tech people and I keep sourcing tech people playing my my kind of connector networking role. Uh, where'd you find? How did that develop? Did one function develop faster than another? How'd that go?
2: Great question. Yeah. So, so initially when I started the business, the concept was around almost hired guns, right? Yeah. So I wanted to go out and find salespeople like myself that wanted to be independent and plug into organizations. Yeah. Maybe carry a bag, maybe not carry a bag. Maybe do operations, et cetera. But that was the kind of you know one of the initial concepts and ideas. And quite frankly, a lot of companies were very skeptical about bringing on a consultant that carried a bag, right? As it pertains to sales, we do more like sales operations. That's where the consulting is, and it's less around individual contributor. I'm going to go out and help you, you know, close five million in business. Yeah. And so you know, I it took some iterations to kind of tighten that up. Uh, Yeah, and then, you know, saw some, some takeoff on the sales operation side as well as the technology side. But yeah, yeah. I had to kind of pivot a little bit with the initial concept because people just didn't feel comfortable with having, you know, a bag carrying salesperson on their books as a contractor.
1: Gotcha. And what was it like for you to find those hired guns that you trusted? Did you run into like, how do I make sure they actually are the quality that I'm looking for? Um, any of that kind of concern when I'm connecting someone that I actually know they're going to deliver the value and maybe value that's even on par with our brand or values or anything like that.
2: So, yeah, so it's it's kind of two components to that question. A, you got to find the right people, but B, you got to make sure there's work for them,
1: Mm. right? Because if there's not,
2: then, you know, I I don't want to say they feel like their time's wasted, but you need to be pretty judicious with that component, right? So you need to go find these people at the right time. And so in regards to how I find people, it's generally through my network. And so, A, I'm starting with almost like a a trusted source initially, right? So that's kind of like one of the components. I don't want to say it's strictly referral-based because it's not, but I do rely heavily on referrals. And that's a a big component in our actual vetting process. But it's it's a series of of meetings, uh, and I prefer to at least have kind of one face-to-face discussion in there. But I, I try not to work um, with consultants when I can. It depends on the business case as well. But that I have not met face to face or have a you know um, lengthy vetting process with. Gotcha. Discussion, I should say.
1: Yeah, yeah. And are you um, are you closing the sales for them and then giving it to them, or are they having to close the sales themselves once you present them the opportunity?
2: So really, performer, I want to. I want to move into the ladder where you know, basically, these individuals kind of flood into our ecosystem, and they can go out and get the kill. Um, but a lot of it now is um, the work that I do bringing these individuals to the table.
1: Got okay. it. And so yep. there's
2: a, you know, there's a supply side, which is the individuals, and then there's the the demand side, which is kind of the companies that have the positions. And a lot of the time that I spend is focused on the demand side because, unfortunately, you know, especially now that we're in the midst of COVID. Um, there's an influx of people on the supply side, so there's tons of supply. Yeah. The demand is the part where um, it, it takes a lot of work to really kind of uncover what's out there. Yeah.
0: yeah. Just a, a little bit of a side tangent, but the thinking back to why you got into this is you were kind of realizing how work could be done for you and your family. I don't want to be sitting in Toronto ever again, wondering right. whether or not I'm going to make it for Christmas. That type of feeling, uh, you know, fractional work. Has oftentimes been left to those people that are like they're at the end of their career. They're, they're pretty much retired, and they realize like retiring stinks. I keep, I want to keep being in this game, but I don't want to like be all in. Yeah. And so, have you found that you're actually even reimagining that with even who you're placing? You're like, no, we're placing plenty of people in their 20s, 30s, 40s. You know that aren't on their you know 60s, 70s back half of their their career. That's actually we're helping tons of people reimagine work, and we're helping employers reimagine how they're hiring. Is that happening? Or do you say, you know, for the most part, I'm finding the, the back half of life. Uh, how how is that working out? How does that begin to like come come to life for you?
2: Interesting questions, like sincerely. For me, you know, too, when I started this company, I had this concept of fractional. Like it just, you know, why would you not want to plug in with three, four companies, get in 10 to 15 hours? Yeah. I mean, that, that's honestly the holy grail. If you can figure that out, you know, kudos to it's you. It's cool. fantastic. Yeah. Um, so I, I've been talking about fractional work for, for two, three years. And a lot of times it's the individuals that are on this side of their career that only want to plug in, in 10, 20 hours, maybe with one company, maybe with two companies, just to keep it going. Right. A lot yep. of people need the money, but they just want to stay engaged. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, fast forward to COVID. And now it, it seems that companies are a lot more open as well as individuals are a lot more open that are on the side of the career to fractional work. And so that's been interesting, uh, especially on the company side, I've been talking you know, fractional again for, for two, three years and it's, it's fallen deaf ears for companies. I mean, literally, it just, I, I think conceptually, it's hard to grasp because most companies are bringing somebody on full time, right? So why would you do a fractional work week? It's hard, it's hard to quantify. Um, but now I feel like, you know, since COVID happened, we've had an influx of the fractional work and it's been interesting. And it's really kind of kept the individuals happy as well because we're all remote. Right. Yeah. And like I've got two kids in the house right now. And so yeah. you know, if I had the ability to work fractionally,
1: I mean, that
0: would be amazing. Yeah. Mm. That's
1: cool. Very cool. Well, I'm curious if for you in the personal, you personal journey, journey of, this, of this, what have you, what you have seen, seen your, life your life evolve into going from not having this business, yeah. being out there, you know, doing what you're doing before, and now you're running this business and your life has been shaped around it. Yes. What, what is that journey like? Where are you currently at?
2: So, and again, I'm sure you guys have kind of gone through this. I'd love to, to hear what I'm about to say. kind of mirrors that, but it's been interesting. You know, I've always been a self-starter, always been driven, always been the guy, you know, who's, who's up, you know, 530 or 6.00 AM, just, just getting, just getting crap done. Right. And that didn't really change when I, when I started my company. In fact, um, you know, I promised my wife that I wasn't going to play golf at all until I had my first win. Yeah. Right. So I mean, that, um, yes. as I mentioned, that's eight months, right? Any yeah. golf, no fun, no free time. Um, <laughs> that kind of sucks, right? And that took a little while to get used to. But um, you know, it's funny, I was you know, reflecting like, you know, year in, year and a half in, two years in, and a lot of my um, you know, the foundational, I guess, work ethic that I've had hasn't changed. Um, you know, and it's been hard for me to turn off work as well, which I, I imagine you guys probably feel the same. And I, I think that's been the hardest adjustment is the turning off the work um, and being present with my family when I'm actually home. Uh, and so I've had, I've actually had to kind of block out, you know, like work blocks. And so it's kind of like from eight to nine or, or seven 30, to eight 30 with the family, you know, five to seven, um, just to kind of keep my sanity, but it's yeah. a while to get used to this whole situation. Honestly, I, I love it. It works for me. It works for my personality, but it, it's still sometimes surreal that, you know, I don't have to take off, um, you know, for, anything yeah but i'm not you know what i mean like i'm not right but
0: i'm not oh man i definitely relate to that just to like you know play the the cards as they really as they really lie just these past two days these probably been the past i've been the only two days over the last year i mean even during this covid time that i really like paused and told my wife like I think I'm past like my effort. Like I actually think I'm tired right now and I could use some grace. Like I'm actually making the request versus just continuing to try to just crank through. And uh, yeah, it came, it it was yesterday evening at, at dinner, like just sitting there and I'm just completely, you know, close to the end. I'm like, yeah, just letting her know. Like I just hate, I hate even saying anything like that. You know, like yeah. stating a need or a want, right? Uh, and I think that's a little bit of just personal growth of like, hey, just being able to say like, hey, I'm I'm getting near the end of, of effort, and
2: uh, it, it's personal growth, man. I struggle with the same thing. You know, I think I played golf like two Fridays ago, and I was like getting myself a hard time because I had so much stuff on my plate, but you need to reset. You need yes. you need to take yes. some downtime. And like, if I worked for a company, I would have taken that day off. And I would have been doing the day off and I would have been, you know, totally fine. So I am trying to work through that. And it's, um, it's, it's it's an interesting kind of shift in the mindset. It's
0: tough. Yeah. I think for me, it's the thing of like, I, I now know that I owe it to my team to recover. I think it's that like making it on the other side of that has helped. It's like, I, I actually owe this to drew to recover. I owe this to the crew to make sure that like I show up, for that next meeting, right. or that next strategy session, or that next podcast, like man, feeling energized and really like feeling uh, locked in for performing, right? Like, yeah, because you still have to, uh, and you have to give yourself the the, the chance to recover, and that, yeah. that has been great.
1: I, was, I remember telling one of my guys, I was like, "Man, you still haven't you still haven't switched from an employee mindset to like an owner's mindset," right? And we're also conditioned. In our typical careers, to be in kind of an employee mindset. And we long for the opportunity to have work life balance, right? Mm-hmm. To set our own rules, to never have to ask permission when to take time off, those kinds of things. And then you get there, and that actually is the opportunity, but it presents itself as a challenge, right? Where you're I like, right. I can't give myself the permission. To take the time off. I'm not feeling even when I am taking the time off, I feel guilty about it, or I'm still thinking about work in my head, you know, those kinds of things. And that actually is the challenge. And saying, it's no longer about quantity of time. Right. It's now about quality of time. Right. So I got to get out of thinking like, I mean, he was literally telling me I feel guilty anytime I'm done with the day before 5pm. And I was like, did we tell you that?
2: Right.
1: And he's like, no, I'm like, that's not how we're thinking. We're not thinking about counting hours. We're thinking about what did you do? Did you show up and like knock it out of the park and then go take all day off if you need, or go, you know, end early, but especially as performance coaches, which is our business, it's like, we've got to apply that to ourselves. If we're helping other people think about growth in terms of stress plus recovery equals growth, then why are we not giving ourselves recovery like an athlete, yeah. or like anybody we'd be coaching, but it's just a weird mental game, isn't it? To like actually apply that to yourself.
2: But the guilt is real. Though. The guilt the yes. guilt is so real. I, I think I worked uh, last like two or three nights until 7.30. And like last night I didn't need to, or maybe it was like eight, something like that, whatever. Yeah. Um, I didn't need to, but I felt like I had to because the two nights prior I did it and I felt like I was slacking off yesterday.
1: Yes. And so it's really easy to get in this clip.
2: And so like today, you know, this is actually the last thing that I'm doing Caliber-free, yeah. like my wife's been taking care of, you know, she's been handling business this week. Um, and so I'm, I'm taking you. off, I'm done, and I'm going to spend time with the kids, just kind of reset. So I can come back Monday at like 80% versus like my normal
1: 50%. Yes. Yeah. A hundred, I mean, you. we just, we were just doing a training and again, including our team on it. But are you familiar with the book, The Power of Full Engagement?
2: I am not, but I'm an avid reader, so I'll write that down.
1: Yeah, I man. Rest. So it just kind of hit me as I took a second it was literally like a second. I didn't realize how many seconds I hadn't been taking to like back up and think about our team. Like we've all been so Mm -hmm. focused on how hard we're working for our clients and getting new clients and surviving COVID and all that kind of stuff that I was like, Oh, how's everybody doing? How am I doing? And I was like, I think everyone's spent. Like, I think this is like, like Jordan's talking about, I think we're all at that like running on fumes or past fumes kind of place. And this book and this concept just kind of came back up. And the idea is that most people don't have a time management issue. They have an energy management issue. And that if we were to understand what generates energy for us, that it would get us better results in the time that we are, are spending. Right. So we're, instead of making more time, we're making more of the time.
2: Right. And it's More focused, hardest the power, yada, yada, yada.
1: Yeah. So he's like, there's four energy sources. You have physical energy, mental energy, emotional energy, and what he would call spiritual or the human spirit energy. And that each of those have their own requirements that if you listen and say, what do I need in this category? You could start to produce habits and rituals that keep that part of you generating energy. And when you show up fully engaged, you just get better results. Right. And, Uh, but most of us, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's freaking awesome. Uh, but most of us just keep kind of making the bet that it doesn't matter that much how, you know, cared for, uh, how alive, how vital I feel. Right. I just mm-hmm. need to do that. Right. Like, yeah, I just need it. yeah, yeah. And it's like, yeah. well, you could grind all day and make mistakes or miss opportunities or not get the results that you could have gotten if you had clocked out early on Friday, right. had the kind of rest and rejuvenation you needed over the weekend. And Monday's a totally different Monday for you. Right. Yeah. Totally agree. And that, that's kind of what I'm working
2: through real time learning. That, Same. Honestly. And it's not, it's not like something that happens in a week or a month. Right. It's like, it's been a year or like a year and a half in the making where I catch myself. Like you're doing it again, you've worked too
0: much.
2: You're like, doing it. Shut it down. It's yeah. all right. You know, the roof's not going to fall apart. You know, nothing, I can...
0: Yeah, yeah. The, tendencies, the tendencies are going to be really hard to change, right? The tendencies are probably not even worth taking the time to actually like reset your pathways. Like right. that's hard. But the behavior pattern of like what you do when you see yourself doing it, that right. can completely change, you know, you can have the open conversation or you could pause the work, you know, you could, you could set up a different ritual that yes. kind of hacks the tendency that you have mm-hmm. to go into overdrive. It's funny
2: you say that about sort of a ritual. And I guess I've done that kind of accidentally,
0: yeah. um, but I've cool.
2: kind of like, you know, blocked out time for my family and workout time to kind of take care of my own mental needs. Yeah. I never thought about that because I've been, you know, eight to five, that is the time frame in which I'm working. And I've kind of, I guess, instinctively kind of put, I guess, you know, blockers yeah, you know, with, within those days to kind of shake it up.
0: And it's, it has been helpful. But I never
2: thought about, you know, how the- ritualizing
0: it. Yeah. You're like, wow, I keep doing this over and over and over again. This is kind of my like life ritual. Yeah. yeah. I found it to be a, a fascinating language to like, okay, that helps me put some more intention towards what I'm trying to do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's so awesome. they, they even talk about in that book um, that, most people rely on self-discipline when high performers rely on rituals and that when you have a ritual, you don't even need to access self-discipline because it just becomes the thing. This is just when I do it. And I always do it at this time. You know, when I get done with the practice, I always do an ice bath. I, if we're thinking athletes, right. To prepare for a game, I eat this meal. I get to the field at this time. I stretch, I do whatever. And it's like, man, we could take all that pressure off of ourselves of self-discipline. Right. When you're accessing self-discipline, it's it's saying, I think I'm going to choose this at some point today, right? And that's where you're forcing yourself to pick when, to pick how long, to pick what, and you're right. accessing that self-discipline versus it's 5 o'clock and I have dinner with my family. That's the ritual. Or it's 7 o'clock and I'm working out. That's the ritual. And it's no longer going through all the other uh, self-discipline or willpower kind of issues you know yeah you
0: don't fight that. i lives. like that yeah i never thought about too that maybe i am putting
2: rituals in place um and that that has been helpful and i'm a big believers as well you know you mentioned athletes but you know yeah. it's kind of probably kind of corny but like I, I sometimes try to like envision myself as an athlete yes try to have rituals like you know i'm putting them up you gotta put on your uniform you gotta look nice for for work yeah. you know you gotta bring your a-game yeah. um and what it's you know, when you have a conversation, if you're nervous, it's not nerves; it's excitement, right? Exactly. It's all about kind of changing yeah. the way that you think about things, and uh, it's 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 had a profound impact on me personally. But you brought mm-hmm. up the, the oh, athletes; absolutely. I thought it was pretty, pretty interesting. That's huge.
0: Shaping the business. Yes. I mean, all the athletes; they have to, you know, they like it's it's football season right now, and I I love some football, so like they literally get to practice on recovery and practicing their performance six days of the week. Maybe they decide to take a day off because of last week's game, but then they have to perform just one day. I mean, I think that's the reality of uh, even in the book, he, he brings up the concept of the corporate athlete because wait a minute, like I got to perform five, six. I mean, if you're an owner of a business, you're like, I pretty you're much feel like I got to perform yeah. seven days of week, yeah. seven days of the week. Even if that seventh day is me like intentionally planning to recover, but that's, that's part of it is like, man, treating yourself like an athlete in that intensity of like, they are only having to perform one Right. day for three hours. Yes, it's at the highest level, but like, man, as, as business owners and as founders, like you pretty much have to do the same thing every day, every day. Well, it's yeah. funny
2: you say that. So, so maybe, so I've been trying to emulate them. Maybe they should be trying to emulate us. That's right. Because right? I mean, I, I could, you know, give me four hours a week to do my job. I'd be happy with that.
1: That's right. You know, it was, it. what, what <clears throat> made that concept uh, stick in for me was have you ever read uh stephen pressfield's book the war of art
2: uh i have not Man, It's just throwing titles out left and right i like your I like your style
1: awesome uh so this became like a bible for me in a sense for the journey i was on when i left my career started my coaching company mm-hmm. wrote my first book put out podcasts like things that i had been saying i would do for years yes. i was finally like saying i'm going to do it now right but there was a huge amount of time that was wasted in half-hearted effort or procrastination or fear and anxiety. And I came across The War of Art and Mm -hmm. it's written by a guy who was a struggling writer uh, for most of his life until he finally overcame what he would call resistance and became who he is today. He wrote The The Legend of Bagger Vance and several other kind of big hits. And uh, it became a cult classic for creatives, but then everyone else started going, well, this applies to me too. Like this isn't just for creatives. Uh, But one of the concepts that he talked about that so helped me was that he said most of us uh, approach our goals and dreams like amateurs, and we have to turn pro. Yeah. And it was just that concept. He's like, you have to turn – you had to turn pro. And it did something to me back from being an an athlete myself and that kind of thing going like, yeah, there's a real difference between the YMCA basketball player and how he pursues that sport and the paid athlete. Like they approach it with more discipline and he gave all these examples of what it was a craft,
2: you know, the art form and
1: yeah. He's like one plays when they feel healthy, the other plays hurt. Right. And he just went through all these different examples and I was like, Oh, and it became just a little touch point. like a little signpost for me. I was like, where do I need to turn pro right now? Right. And then that started making me think about what, well, I used to do things at a high level in sports. So like what had I learned there that might apply here? And it made me think of this guy, Josh Waitzkin, who was the uh, – he was the, in, the uh, inspiration for the movie Searching for Bobby Fischer, like a childhood uh, chess prodigy. Mm-hmm. And the biggest revelation of his life was that the things he was learning in chess were not contained to chess alone. And he called it cross, uh, cross-disciplinary application that he started going, wow, I thought I'd wasted my life You know, when he became a, a young adult. Right. But he had no skills outside of chess when that kind of came to an end and he was like, well, hold on, I bet I could apply this to business. I could apply this to whatever. And he started seeing all the correlated lessons that he could take from this venture and bring it over here. Yeah, I think that's what we're saying about athletes is like, okay, what are some of the things that if you learned or thought about like an athlete would have a cross disciplinary function into the discipline of running a business. Right. And so for me, it was turning pro, like where do I need to be more intentional with my habits? Where do I need to take my effort more seriously in my recovery, more seriously, and it's still a journey. Like I said, I'm learning this in real time right. as the time, as the years go by.
2: No, it's, it's funny you say that. So I, I absolutely will check out um, the War of Art because that's something I'm interested in myself. And it's funny you mentioned the podcast. And I've been talking about doing my own podcast for two years. So I found yep. myself in the exact same situation you just referenced a few moments ago. And my goal, you know, now is January 2021 where I'm going to turn pro. Like, damn it, yep. like it's, it's going to happen. But you know, it's really I, I kind of you know try to reflect on it as early, as recently as today and it's like what have i been doing what has been so difficult about creating a podcast that it's taking yes. me two years of just thinking and i think it's the inability just to kind of to kind of turn pro and i really like that um because I, I haven't i haven't really put forth the effort that i should have put forth to make it happen two years ago yeah I have a problem and I, i'm a big believer in that as well like you know i, I am where i am because of myself got no yeah. one else to blame and i appreciate you sharing that because you've inspired yeah. me to get that podcast out finally
1: stop stop screwing around yeah so my first podcast is named the drew mcclure podcast and the only reason i hate the fact that my podcast is named after myself but the only reason is because my wife kept hearing the excuse from me for over a year yeah. of why i hadn't started it was because i couldn't come up with the name Got and it. at some point she kind of threw her hands up in the air. I was like, a name right there. She's like, just it's the Drew McClure podcast, and I was like, ah, oh, crap. <laughs> so now that excuse is gone. Like now, I have to just like actually sit down and put it out. And so he would call that resistance with a capital R. So his his whole theory of the book is that any meaningful progress we want to make in our life in any area, whether yeah. it's to better ourselves emotionally, physically, or the world or our family, is going to always be met by an invisible force called resistance, and that that force will seek to keep us the same. Yeah. And so he's like. That's he's like your war is actually with resistance. Right. It's yeah. it's not with yourself, and you need to figure out how to push through resistance and get on the other side of it. If you want to, if you want to live the lived life. So he says we have the unlived life within us, and to access that, we have to push through resistance. Um, so that would be my encouragement to you: is just be like, where are the BS excuses? It's not just hard work. You are a worker okay. group, You know how to work yeah. hard. So if you're if you're not working reason. hard where you would normally work hard, if you're not being disciplined where you normally right. be disciplined. The issue isn't you. The issue is something that that resistance has your number on,
2: or some right. obstacle that I created, right? Some that's what I activity. mean. And yeah, uh, you know, it's funny too. You mentioned this, and so the name of the podcast that I'm going to roll out is "Finding That Next Gear." And I think it's the exact same thing. It's like, yep. what is preventing you, you know, from getting to that place you want to get to?
1: Yes, and I yeah. have
2: a thought about resistance. I think that's a great term. I've been thinking in terms of obstacles, whatever. It's the same thing. Yeah, it's the
1: same thing. But yes. it's like
2: you got to identify whatever that is, and you're never going to kind of make it to the next gear, if you will. Yep. And to identify that and overcome it, and usually all the options would be yes.
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah. Like writing my first book, I realized writing the book was hard, but not as hard as I was experiencing it. Right. So it was like, what's what's happening here? Like, of course, it's hard to sit down and write thoughts, but like I have thoughts all the time and I can type. What's really hard here? Right. And I realized the hardest thing about for me writing a book was believing I was somebody worth reading. Right. So it's like, that's it. actually the, that was actually the issue. It wasn't like, oh, it's so hard to write a book. It's like, no, what's yeah. really hard is the narrative that like, do I have enough self-confidence that my ideas are worth somebody reading? What and once I could combat that, the book, e- the book process just went through what, yeah. much easier. And it's like, oh, that's the issue. So you have to kind of figure out yeah. what actually is the thing that creates the resistance in me that probably has nothing to do with the obstacle in and of itself. But maybe the identity that it's challenging, sure. you know, the the ego that it's challenging or something like that.
2: Well, and, and too, I think you need to continue to challenge the resistance. You know, once you identified it, you need overcome it once, you know, whatever, but overcoming it several, several times, you know, it's every day kind of raise that bar. Yeah, it's it a hell of a lot easier. I experienced that with, you know, posting on LinkedIn and writing mm. blogs and all that stuff. That was tough for me. Um, yeah, probably similar to you. It's like, do people care what I have to say? Um, why do I care if they care? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and so yeah. it, was, it was tough. I even had my wife. It was the first post on LinkedIn I ever did. I actually had to have her hit the post button, and she literally looked at me. She's like, "What, what the hell's wrong with you? This is yeah, you <laughs> this is how <not> you <laughs> do so I thought to myself like, "She can, she can do this. It's been great. It's not her. It's not her written work, right? Yeah. But if she can do this, why is it so challenging for me? Why is there an obstacle that I've created that is this big deal for me to put my thoughts into the world? Yeah, since then it's been a hell of a lot easier." Cause you just kind of got to distill it down to what you're actually worried about. And it's yeah nothing.
0: It is so interesting. So as a friend of Drew's who we weren't business partners at the mm-hmm. time when he writes the book as the outsider, you know, the, you know, you're sitting there, your wife's sitting there going, just sit, hit in, like, what are you, what are you waiting on? Thinking about Drew writing his book. It was so interesting. Cause I, it was so easy to see, like, why are you concerned about writing this book? Because I so easily see you writing books Whereas, like, this isn't about the book. Like, it's about you going on the path to writing your next ten, and and that was such a funny thing because I do think if you're the author, and I like am speaking for Drew there, feeling the weight of this is the one book and this, this is, is the first book. This needs to be the perfect book, and it was just this thought of like, no man, like this is like practice, you know? Right. Like, yeah. So just. You had that.
1: You had that advice for me and my friend, who's a, a super accomplished uh, like songwriter and musician. He was like, you're he's like, you're you're not seeing this as one of ten albums, right? He was like, but you're he's like, that's how I felt my first album was like, this is gonna make me or break me. This is gonna be what I'm known for. And he's like, no one remembers my first album. He's like, that's the point. Like you have to get the first album out of the way so you can get the second and the third and just little things like that were like dismantling resistance a little bit at a time. You know. Seeking perfection,
2: though, I mean, seeking perfection, I think, is, is is kind of a challenge for me as well. I mean, obviously, nothing's perfection, and you know, perfection's the enemy of progress, or whatever that, that saying yeah. yep. is. Um, but I've found myself, even when I started my company, like part of the reason it took me eight months to f- get my first paying customers is I was literally trying to find the perfect customer, the perfect mm. opportunity, you know, to prove my business case, and who cares? You know? Yeah. So it's, yeah.
0: That's I, a cool tieback. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about bringing that back. And even the thought of going pro, like you have to make, you had to make the change from, you know, solo practitioner. This is my plan for the business to business builder. And, and kind of the question is like, Hey, where did you have to go pro as a business builder, but more around like, man, where did you start to experience challenges? Or it was like, man, like, this is harder than I thought on the like business building business strategy side. Of uh, things, where where are the difficulties there? Where are the walls of resistance that you had to kind of bust through along the way?
2: Uh, I mean, they were, they were numerous. How much time do we have, right? I mean, for yeah. me, it's been a uh, it's been a kind of life life journey. I've always planned on being an entrepreneur. Never matter if, more so a matter of when, right? Yeah. So, so kind of always plan on doing it. And and the challenges have been more numerous and much tougher than I ever could imagine, to be honest with you. Um, yeah. Way 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 tougher, and I, I, of course, the challenge of getting my first paying customer was tough. Um, but continuously putting yourself out there, continuously hearing no, right? I mean, all these different emotions that you go through being an entrepreneur were all new to me, and things that I hadn't experienced in the past or any other time in my life. And I, yeah. I think those are the biggest challenges that I came into was like, how do you adopt the mindset of a business owner? Not where you give you know zero F's about anything. Yep. but that you kind of have a hard enough shell where you know feedback didn't get to you anymore, negativity didn't get get to you anymore. Um, that was tough. That was the biggest challenge for me. Was you know getting yeah. knocked down and like perseverance, getting up, brushing your your sleeves off every day. That that's yeah. was the biggest part that I learned. I started learning that like you know I'd say like month month two. You know it didn't It yeah. That stops. It's still in. It.
0: Yeah, I have a, have a thought of a follow up. I think you could give the audience some advice, but. Would you also say, like I think I personally have found that like the uh, one more year I exist is makes it a lot harder for you to take me out, it, 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 at least how it feels in business where it's like, man, I just got a few more clients. Like it makes it a lot harder for whatever critique you might bring to me, to take me out because I'm like, there's all these people who like got great results. You know, there, there's, Hey, there's Navy SEAL that says, Hey, we're, we're a great fucking business decision, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. But like there's some things like that where like, man, it just makes me a lot harder for somebody to take me out by them saying no or for them to have some response or them to not like the the amount of clarity we're giving them or whatever the thing may be sure. in terms of like, hey, give us, especially in our world, like what's the ROI of this? And it's kind of like, okay, we can work really hard and to really yeah. find you the ROI, but like we know that like it's an indirect ROI when you're investing in coaching. So it's right. like, is that really well, what we're talking about right now and yeah. it's been i think that's been the fun thing like hey the more and just kind of like you mentioned hey i got that first client so i got the case study yeah Whether i've got it perfectly written down or not it's in you know it's a bullet in the gun that i can fire away and i find that i just fire it for our own confidence at times too
2: 100 it's kind of like developing old man strength you know what I mean? I'm like, yes, yes. like three point like eight years into this thing. Yes. Um, and the further I get along, like I, I really don't care. I have people who are like, hey, you know, bro, I'm not interested. I'm like, no worries, I'm not going any. Like that literally is that yeah. like, literally is my response. Like, I'm around. And I have have done so far in my business where like the thought of even going back to corporate America to corporate America is it's a non-option. Yeah. Right. So like I'm here, I'm doing this thing, and yep. I ask your confidence. Um, and I think confidence also lends itself to deals because you're not desperate. Like, I'm, yeah, I'm good. We, we find me, you know, find me in six months or a year. That's okay. I'm not going anywhere.
0: Right. Yeah. So here's the the advice that I think I would want you to speak to, because you do have the sales background, you have to face objections and you have to face mm-hmm. like rejection. You got to face both of those things. And so, you know, the thought is like, Hey, facing rejection, like just practice and time helps yeah. face some of that. But truly like any advice to somebody who, um, maybe just starting a business, is uh facing that and they just kind of struggle with with kind of passing through objections of somebody that wants to say no, like any concepts that yeah. you've had, lessons you've learned along the way, frameworks to help you um in in that space of just kind of sure. continuing progress forward?
2: No, that's a great that's a great question. Um I'm gonna answer it a little bit differently. The objection piece, um, you know, it's it's Eventually, when, you, when you've when you been in your business long enough, you understand how to kind of overcome those objections because you've received so many that it's kind of old hat, right? Yeah. So I feel like that kind of comes with earning your stripes. Like you get to a point where eventually, you know, come to the know ob- all overcome the objections is, is the easier part of the equation. Uh, the yeah. part that I actually struggled the most with was rejection, yeah. right? So when I first started my company, it was rejection side because I spent a lot of money starting this company. I took a leap of faith. Like it was, I put my, you know, I, I have two kids, well, I still have two kids, but I have two kids, you know, I'm married like that. I had a lot on the line. And so it was, yeah. it was tough to put myself out there, but then it was tough to hear feedback that was negative. And, um, literally I swear there was a period of time over like three months where I felt like I had PTSD because I just kept getting hammered over yeah. and over about you've been your concepts too early. It doesn't work. You know, what are you trying to accomplish? And, um, you know, I, I I still don't know exactly how I overcame I overcame that, and once I do, I'm gonna write a book. Yeah. But you know, I think just being in the trenches and receiving the negativity and realizing these are just people's opinion. Everybody's got an opinion, right? And I have my own. And I think you know, taking the shots, um, but having the perseverance to wake up every single day and keep fighting. Uh, I think that's that's what I would leave the the budding entrepreneurs with. That it, it gets easier. And it can be tough, tough, you know, at first. But it's always as bad as you make it. And nice. I, I like sensationalize this thing that I'm getting rejected, and you know, look back at it, and it was a good learning experience for me. But it should have been that big of a deal.
1: Yeah, I love that. That reminds, just some of the best sales advice we had heard as well is around that, like the quicker you can move towards indifference, and in, in, not in terms of like serving someone or wanting, but like that we don't take it personal. We don't unnecessarily make it about me or overly emotional, the better we're actually going to be at sales, right? Yeah. And for me, I don't know if this is true for you, but I would be surprised if it's not. You had some kind of underlying instinct, you know, called a voice, called an instinct, a hunch, a leading to go and do something, right? To leave this path, to enter this path. And to me, the thing that kept me going and I I call it the wilderness, like that gap between where you are and where you're going, you're just kind of wandering in the wilderness and it gets, it gets, oh man, it gets lost. You feel like you get lost. You're hungry. You're tired. You're not sure if you're going to make it. And the only thing that kept me going was if I got silent long enough, that voice would come back Mm -hmm. and I would realize that wasn't gone. And it was like, oh, that that same thing is even though I heard this and I heard that and I heard this saying, no, 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 this thing is still compelling me to Uh, say, keep going. And so it was that. And if I lost connection with that and I was only connected to the results and connected to the feedback, I would want to turn around and go home. As soon as I stopped, I was like, no, we left home for a reason, (laughs) you know, like, and we haven't. We haven't really been given a final no. And sure. so I'm going to feel regret if I give up and go home and I wasn't actually forced to go home, you know, that I oh, quit that. early, that kind of thing. I wonder if that was true for you as well.
2: No, it was. Yeah, something's always compelled me to, to go out on my own. I've always kind of felt that. Um, and, and finally, you know, honestly, I was in a muddy trap where it's like, I, I got to break free now or I won't be able to do it until I'm on this side of my career and then I'll be too risk averse. Right. So I've always had that. I've always been compelled to do something. And when I did it, I agree. Um, so as long as you have the drive, things are good. And the second you think you, you start to lose that drive, then I would go on like some kind of journey to get re-inspired. And that can yes. be a matter of you know, just reading tons of books. I mean, I literally have seven books on my desk right now and I'll put these books up and I'm, I'm you know, feeling uninspired, I'm pulling hill, whatever it is that I need
1: yep. to get me in the right
2: mindset so I can remember what I'm doing. I sought out to do this in the first place. Yeah, I've had to do that several times in the last almost four years. Um, And it's it's funny. I never thought about it from that perspective about the wilderness and, you know, are you losing your way? And I've I've had to find my way in the north um, a lot of times, But going back was never an option for me. Right. And so I kind of keep that in the back back of my mind is that it's always just kind of, you know, up and beyond.
1: And that's when you know you win. When you when you take a self-assessment and you honestly realize going back is not an option. Right you have this part of you that like, that's how Jordan and I feel like even when we came into the pandemic, we had a conversation early on, like, what, like, what do we do if, if, if our business takes a catastrophic hit or whatever. Yeah. And as we started ideating, I just said, well, hold on, hold on. Is there any part of you at this point that would do anything else with your life? Right. And he was like, no. I was like, me either. So we're just going to find a way like one, you know what I mean? Like once you remove that option of going away from it, you, right. you have this instilled confidence. Absolutely. Like, well, as long as I'm still alive, I'm going to figure this out. Yeah, I'm, going, yeah. I'm going to find my way through this wilderness, and we'll come out on the other side, right? That's why it's always you know, like burning the boat, right? I mean, that's, yes. that's why
2: yeah. I Corporate America. It's like I, I started this company, honestly, about three years before I even left Corporate America. Maybe it was two and a half years, whatever the exact time, it didn't yeah. matter. But I never did anything with it because I wasn't forced to. And the second yeah. I left, I made the decision. I mean, I had nothing to revert back to, and it was just yeah. – Before and I think that's that's super important to budding entrepreneurs as well, is that as long as you're holding on to kind of you know what you were doing before, you're never going to make progress.
0: Hard, really hard. Changing changing gears, I want to think back to just the expertise that you guys bring. What's something I wrote down really early on as you were talking through, this thought was like, hey, what makes great relationships? And that thought, but then like, how do you make great relationships quickly? Because yeah. that's even part of what you're doing is like, I've got to make sure that not only is this a great relationship, but they don't have a year for this to be a great relationship or like that pro- the person's probably already going to be let go. Like in some other situations, maybe when you hire the full-time employee or you're not using a firm, you can give it some marinating time. But my hunch is, is you're kind of in a space where it's like, man, we really, it's it's best when we hit home runs fast, where it's 30 yeah. days in and they're going, oh my gosh, like you've just saved, saved us. Yeah. I'm, I'm guessing that's probably true. Like any, any wisdom on how to find, how to make great relationships? Cause you are, you're a little, you're playing a little bit match.com. You oh, know, yeah. you're a little yeah. bit
2: Christian Meagle.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but it's, no, it's, it's tough. Uh, I, I feel like a lot of the best relationships are referral, although referrals, although, you know, they do it, they can't happen organically. Um, yeah. A lot of the best relationships I've been introduced into, but it's also about kind of adding value to those individuals and keeping them engaged. And it's kind of, I can to, I mean, it's, it's networking at the end of the day, um, yeah. but you really need to kind of um, be um, very, very um, sort of word I'm looking for, um, not determined, but you need know, very, very direct in what your intentions are and trying to help individuals out. And, and meet other people. And so, for, for yeah. instance, um, any new intro, like introduction that I have or relationship, I try to keep them engaged by introducing them to three peers that are like-minded. And so that's the way that I kind of, you know, foster, create relationships quickly, but also keep them engaged and establish trust and, trust and credibility.
0: Cool. That's
1: very cool. I love that idea of direct, too. The more you're in this game, the more you sniff out the BS, yes. you know? and I just, I even, I had a guy that I don't know that well, but I know him that asked to grab, you know, a drink the other night. It's like, sure. We sit down and I can tell he's going through whatever game he's trying to get to, to warm me up. Yeah. Yeah. And I just stopped and I was like, Hey man, I took, I took this reason. I took this meeting for a reason. Knowing you probably needed my help in some way. So let's just get to it. Like, how can I help you? Yeah. And he was like, Oh, well, and I like threw him off a script, you know, Uh (laughs) he was like, well, do you know anybody like this? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's think through it. Right. And in my head, I was like, I would rather just have this conversation. And I think some people would appreciate that on the other side, like, I'm just gonna be direct in this, like, I'm, yeah. I am I would like to network with you, or I'd like to have this conversation with you, and just see if there's a mutually beneficial, you know, relationship here. Have you seen that as well, where you can, in a in a sense, cut through some of the the game playing and just be a little more direct with, yeah. with your?
2: Absolutely. Interesting. I think being direct is, is, extremely important, but also too, uh, I've found that kind of paying it forward is even more important. So when I'm networking, yeah. yeah. when I'm talking with somebody, there's never, a, well, there's generally not an ask from me, right? So what I ask people is like, what can I do for you in the next 20 to 30 days to make your life better? Yeah. Right? And generally that's reciprocated. Well, well what can I do for you, Bo? Uh, and, and I generally don't have an ask, honestly. And I found that like, you're laying these seeds and you know, a lot of the customers that I have now or relationships that I built two, three years ago I literally did not ask for anything in return. And I just wow. help out these individuals. Yeah. And that's kind of the the, 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 impetus of my business now is really I'm a glorified networker. I hate to kind of like discredit what I do, but you know, I try <laughs> to help people knowing that you know, in the future, is, it, it may come back, maybe it won't, but you know, at, at least I did something nice for somebody.
0: Oh, that's, that's beautiful. I love that. It is interesting, man. I wrote down, you know, be direct, pay it forward. Don't ask. And just yeah. like a good a good framework of how not to screw up a networking relationship. Yeah.
2: It's not uh, rocket science, though. You know what I mean? Like it, it's it's. Yeah. Whenever you get in the conversation, to your point, Drew, I mean, you felt this guy was gonna. There's an ass. There's yeah. an ass. I mean, granted, he asked you to 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 drinks, and maybe there should have been. But you know, I feel like a lot of folks can sniff that out, and the relationship and the credibility you have, it's it's over. It's done.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. No, it's so important that that I think we've seen that as well. Like. You know, even coming into COVID, our 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 instinct, right, is to, like, get as much business as possible, keep keep money on the books, get, you know, all that kind of stuff. But our kind of the deeper wisdom of just, you know, mentors and thinking was, like, let's give stuff away for free with no ask on the back. end. so we did what we called foxhole coaching. Nice. And we just said, hey, man, if you're in a foxhole right now, you're a business owner. We'd love to offer you free coaching for 90 days. And I don't think with any of those, we ever followed it up with a, hey, would you like to turn this into a formal relationship? Like we just right. kept it, we just kept it a gift, you mm-hmm. know, and it has, it's paid off dividends, whether it's directly with them or someone they knew that could use us, that kind of thing. But it was like, it's a counter instinctual move, yeah. right? The instinct is give me, give me when I'm in need. The counter instinct is to give, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And just a trust that this is, this is going to come back to me, not even karmically, you know, but right. like just how the world works, how relationships work, this builds trust and equity with people and they have goodwill towards you and your top of mind with them. Right. Cause you've helped them.
2: Totally. Especially now during COVID. I mean, I, you know, the amount of time that I have on any given day has been condensed substantially. And so I, I'm very, you know, walls are up when somebody's reaching out to me, I get 15 financial advisors reaching out to me um, a day, which is, uh, which is quite tough, and so uh, yeah, I think it's if you can if you can kind of pay it forward, provide trust, you know, establish trust, and credibility with with your customers or prospects, it's going to pay down the road. Uh, and I don't worry about pay in the short term.
1: Love it. All right, I've got one final question before lightning round, uh, and I typically don't ask this. I wish we did ask this more, but it just makes me think because we got to geek out on concepts we like, and uh, I got to share with you some books that have really been impactful for me. Yeah. What What are some of those for you? You mentioned seven on your desk right now, but there was probably some that you read during your wilderness uh, that helped either reframe things or get your your mind and your heart engaged. Uh, what are some of those that that you think are are worth reading? That are top top books for you?
2: So, um, you know, of of the books, most of them on my desk right now are halfway read. That's kind of my mo. I'll bounce from from book from author to author, reading yeah. what I need when I need it.
1: Yep. Um, you know, I, I think the book that had the uh, has had
2: the biggest impact, and this goes back to the soul searching and being in the wilderness, was one by Napoleon Hill. I believe it was. You can make your own miracles, right? So that's kind of a book that I go back to. Oh, I haven't read that time, one from time to time. I believe it was Napoleon Hill. I I, I, <laughs> I wish it was the exact author.
1: That's okay. Um,
2: but you know, that's kind of one of the books that I will refer to from time to time. Again, it's not religious or anything like that. But more ju- more so, just kind of finding your finding your north and uh, yeah, can make this thing happen.
1: Heck yeah. And what did that, yeah. What did that do for you? Was that, was that a catalyst for you kind of being able to identify what you felt like your, your North was that direction?
2: Well, just more so kind of in the vein of like, you, you can do this, right. I mean, there's other people mm-hmm. that, are, that are creating businesses just like you are at the same time that you are. And, you know, you have the tools, the only problem is yourself. That's mm-hmm. really honest. Right.
1: Yep. Man. I love that. I'm going to check know, that one out for sure. I've not I read know, that
2: one. Maybe it was kind of recommended um, through your company somehow, but uh, the Hero's Journey. I have this on my desk. Uh, yes. I'm not opened open it, um, but uh, there. there's a plan.
0: Oh, heck We've yeah. Three, three on your list. That's good. You already got one sitting there, two more in the in the hopper. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, and we appreciate that too, man. Uh, man, let's hop in this lightning round. I got five questions for you. Question number one, if you could ingrain one message into any organization, uh, what would that one message be?
2: So if I could ingrain any message, um, it would really have to do with not every customer is a good customer, right? So my my first customer, um, coincidentally, was the first customer that I ever fired, right? And so um, for me, that kind of goes in line with customers not always right, a lot of times they are. But, you know, knowing what is good business and what's not good business, I think is something that you should really be in tune with, especially as you're starting out, because you can go down some wormholes that, yeah. that maybe um, take you away from the mission and the overall picture.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Um, number two, what's the be- what's the single best advice you've gotten about, uh, about growing your business?
2: So single best advice I've gotten about growing my business um, is actually coincidentally the worst piece of advice I've gotten as well. Uh, and that's, that's listen good. to people, right? I think there's a, I think there's a, you know, a golden mean or happy medium as it pertains to actually like listening to people. But I found myself where I was listening to everybody, you know, Joe the Butler and, you know, Bob the accountant and just wanted everybody's opinion about my, my business. And I kind of got analysis paralysis to the point where I didn't know what to do. And it was just no. too much. And I had to figure out that at the end of the day, like I know what I set out to do. Some of these opinions are good, some are not, and you got to know, you know, when to accept the good ones and, and and when to kind of let the other ones just fall to the wayside.
0: Dang, yeah, that's good. Uh, what causes you the most worry leading your organization?
2: Complacency, right? So kind of kind of waking up, you know, and just thinking that all's good, because that's when you lose your biggest customer. That's when you know COVID strikes, and you know, just always kind of waking up, bringing it every day. Is really my mission. Um, and I don't want to say not thinking that, you know, or thinking that things things are never safe, but yes. just complacency scares the hell out of me.
0: Yeah. Mm. Uh, what's your what's your BHAG right now? What's your big, hairy, audacious goal that, that you're going after with the free agent and with your life too? And maybe those are one and the same right now.
2: Uh, so from a life perspective, I've always said that, you know, um, staying married is, is a priority for me. If I can do that while well, being an entrepreneur. Yes then it's a success. Right. And also my hairline. I want to, I want to hold on to this as long as I can. I just hit 40 still, hold, yeah. still holding strong, but uh, this is a, uh, this is a goal for mine. On the yeah. business side, honestly, the, the big hairy, um, you know, goal or what have you is a hundred billion dollar valuation and exit.
0: Nice. So
2: I know it's high, I know it's big, but uh, what's the point of having goals? That's exit? exactly right. That's you know, the point not, of the question. Uh, goals. Is Let's
1: there, go. is there a loose, is there a loose time timeline on that, on that goal?
2: Well, yeah, it's always five years, but I've already shifted that three, right? So you yeah.
0: know, yeah. I yes. love it. Uh, all right, man. Uh, final question: If you could hop into the DeLorean, you're going to go back to your past. Tell yourself one thing from the driver's side window as you drive right by. Uh, yeah. When would you go by? Uh, when would you go back to? And what would you say?
2: Should be probably circa two thousand and six, two thousand and five. And I would tell myself, um, the quicker you can be authentic, your authentic self, the better. And, um, you know, start your company earlier. Right. But no, honestly, it's all about authenticity yeah. and, and being yourself. And when I was in a corporate environment, I was, I was good. I was, I was formal, but you know, sometimes I felt like I wouldn't be myself inauthentic. And, uh, the second I started being authentic, I feel like things really changed.
1: Man. that's that might awesome. be, that might be one of my favorite answers we've had to that question. Yeah.
2: I aim to please.
0: So aim to please you did a good job yeah yeah. As, yeah as good americans we've been hearing good job a lot as as we've grown up so you did it good job
1: that's <laughs> right that's right now you did please man we are this has been an awesome interview uh so much insight i'm excited for the audience to get to listen to this and learn from you and your journey uh buddy yeah. thank you for being on here today opening up uh, your heart your journey your wisdom your story and uh we hope to have you on here again
2: Awesome, guys. Really appreciate it. Drew, Jordan, great to meet y'all. Love what you're doing.
0: Thanks again. Yes, sir. Thank you both. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.